Our topic is the blood, and when you talk about blood, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a weird topic, and, and it's confusing sometimes because it's complicated. You know, you talk about blood, it's kind of like gross, but, but blood is so important uh, to our salvation. You know, what God did from the beginning of time uh, to this day and what he continues to do and the blood of Jesus, it sounds really weird, and it's easy to get like... Uh, confused or mixed feelings about the idea of blood because you, we just don't talk about blood. It's, it's one of those like really weird topics. And we said last week that there, the life is in the blood. And I pointed out, I tried to point out the complexities of, of all that's in blood, right? All the things that are in blood, different kinds of uh, ingredients in blood. But how important and how valuable the blood of Jesus is. And that the life of a person or the life of an animal or our eternal life is in the blood. Sounds gross, I know. Today, today our topic is redemption. Redemption is in the blood. Redemption is in the blood. And the word redemption, you know, think about that word for a minute, it means deliverance. It means to rescue. To rescue. It means from, uh, to rescue from error or from fault or from sin. It means to pay off a debt. The Greek word is agorazo. And it means to buy or to purchase, like, like if you went to the marketplace and you bought something and it became yours. That's that word, agorazzo. It means to become yours, to take ownership of something. It, it is now yours. So it's the act of buying something even back that once was yours and now lost and you buy it back. To pay a price or a ransom is this word redemption. Uh, to return something to your possession that was once lost. Redemption has to do with, get this, it has to do with going from one place to another place. There's a sense of transfer in redemption. Uh, as in, from bondage of the law to freedom in Jesus. Transferring from one a location or state of being to another, like being lost and now found, or from darkness into light, or from death to life. That transfer is this idea of redemption, is to pass from one state of corruption and bondage to a life of salvation and freedom in the kingdom of God. It's that path or that, that road that God has provided that we can travel through to arrive at a new location, redemption, to be bought back, to be brought back, to be saved from sin, redemption. And I want to look at three scriptures today that, that really zone in and zoom in on this idea of redemption. Okay, redemption. Ephesians chapter 1. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Paul is uh, beginning his letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's giving praise uh, to God, our Father, which Paul always does. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're going to work our way to the passage we want, but he says, uh, check this out, he says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a great way to start a letter, right? What a great way to start a conversation. You know, just giving God glory. 
You know, that's how we should pray, right? When we pray, it ought to be first and foremost about how thankful we are to God for what he's done. You know, how good he is to us, that he is a, a God and a Father who loves us. He says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. You know, just think about that. Let those words sink in. God has blessed us not in the earthly realms, not in stuff, but he has blessed us beyond stuff into the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight, in his sight. In love, he predestined us or he foreplanned for us to be adopted as sons in, into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God planned for us to be his children from the very beginning. From when sin entered the earth, God, God already had in motion a plan to redeem us back, to buy us back, to, to make us children of his again. As he says, to the, praise in the, uh, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And the one he loves is his son, Jesus, right? That's who he loves, is his son. In verse 7, look what he says. I'm going to slow down here. In him, in Jesus, right? In Jesus. In Jesus. So think about that. In Christ, we have, and look what he says, redemption, right? We have redemption. We have been purchased. We have been bought back. He paid a price for us. We have, in Jesus, we have redemption through, that's that passageway, right? That's that bridge. We have gone from one place to another one in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have made our way to the Father, right? In Him, we have redemption through, through His blood, through the blood of Christ, through Jesus' sacrifice on a cross, you know, there's a lot of talk about currency and the value of gold and all that. But blood has eternal value. The blood of Jesus has, has value beyond any kind of currency that you could ever name. His blood is value for life and much more, right? It has heavenly value. It's, it's got eternal currency all over it. The blood of Jesus that redeems us, that washes us clean, that cleanses us and makes us holy again in the sight of God has value for now and forever. Right, look what he says. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of what? Of sins. The forgiveness of sins. And when we read that, a lot of times I think we think of other people's mistakes and other people's faults and we think of the sins of the world but he's not talking about other people's sins he's talking about your sins my sins he's talking about you personally our sins jesus redeemed us with his blood right for the forgiveness of my sin my sin me personally that's redemption. See, and that's the, the goal or the purpose of the forgiveness and the redemption and the blood is that we would be made right with him. That's the whole goal of redemption. It's the cleansing of evil from our souls being washed clean again so we can come back into the presence of God. 
Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 1. Check this out. He said it like this. For he has rescued us. That's an awesome word, isn't it? Rescued. That God has rescued you. You needed rescued. And most people don't even realize they need rescued, right? They're walking around the earth like they got it all under control. Like, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I've got my life laid out. I know it's everything I need to do. Like, we think we are like masters of our life. And people don't even realize that they are headed for hell and they need rescued. And, and there was a time we didn't realize that, right? And God rescued you. He sent people in your path. He did whatever it took to draw your attention to him so that you would realize that he came to rescue you and you grabbed onto that. He has rescued us, he says, from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us, right? There's that idea of being brought from one thing to another, that passageway from, from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption. Right? Redemption, that he bought us back, the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus paid that price for you. He goes on in Ephesians verse 7 to say, this, all this, this forgiveness of sins, this, this redemption through the blood of Jesus is in accordance, it's in accordance, it's lined up perfectly with the riches of God's grace. When you think about God's grace, we also think about the fact that he loves us so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to die on a cross so that my sins could be washed away. That's the perfect plan of God, right? That's how much he loves us, that God from the beginning already planned to forgive me of my sins with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Why? Because God is smart, right? Because God knows God knows before we know. God knows what we don't know. All we know is we need God, right? And we just grab onto Jesus. We don't know everything. We don't need to know everything. We'll never know everything. But one thing we do know is that in his wisdom and in his understanding, he has poured out and, and filled us with his grace. And the blood of Jesus redeems us. Verse 9, he says, He has made known to us how awesome is it to know that God has like brought us in. Like we're just not like objects that he loved, but he, we are children that he wants to be a part of what he's doing and a part of his work and a part of his kingdom. He has brought us in, right? He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Jesus to be put, verse 10, into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. Man, that's God. That's the perfect plan of God, isn't it? That God knows exactly what he's doing all the time. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when the time was perfectly ready, God sent Jesus to die for you. And when the time was ready, he drew you to him and he saved you by the, by the washing of Christ's blood for your sins. To bring, he says, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So it's Jesus. It's Jesus that brings all things together. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? I mean, that's the good news. Redemption. Redemption is in the blood. Second passage is in uh, 1 Peter. If you would flip to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. And Peter is writing his letter to God's elect 
who are scattered all over the world, the known world. And in verse 3, uh, Peter says, check it out, Peter, like Paul, kind of begins his letter in the same way, this praise to God. Maybe that's uh, kind of a, an example that we ought to learn from, right? There's a, there seems to be a pattern here of how Paul and how Peter uh, begin their letters and how, you know, it's, it's almost their attitude. Their attitude first is this, verse 3, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, praise be to God, right? I mean, maybe every day when we get up, that's the first thing we need to think. That's the first thing we need to say is, God, just thank you, God. Instead of getting up and complaining about our achy bones or, or the crummy day or what happened yesterday, we just get up and we just say, God, God, you're awesome. And we just set our hearts and our minds on the glory of God right from the beginning. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us, look at this, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's amazing. Not just that, but into also an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. God has just poured out for us his love. Right? He's poured out for us an inheritance that can never spoil or fade or pass away, right? That's, that's how awesome God is to you and to me. He loves us that much. That what he has given us in Christ will never, can never be taken away. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can, can, can minimize it or tear it down. It is secure in Jesus. And this new birth, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a promise to us. He says, this have come, these have come so that your faith, these trials of great worth than go, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are res- receiving the end result of faith, the salvation of of your souls. I mean, what, a, what an amazing promise of God that Peter says, these things are yours in Jesus. In the redeeming blood of Christ, these are the promises that we hold on to. And we compare that, we compare that to, to some of the things we do hold on to, right? The things of this world that we hold on to that are so important to us, the things that we grab onto our treasures, like if you ever move, and we're in the process of doing this now, boxing up junk, it's just unbelievable, right? The things we hold on to, the stuff we think we have to have. You compare that to some of the things that Peter just spoke of, and the stuff we have is rubbish compared to the eternal promises of God, aren't they? I mean, and this is what Peter says, focus your heart on. Look at verse 13. He goes on to say, be holy. Right, be holy. 
See, the result of redemption is the promises of God, that, that all these things are yours. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, where? Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I mean, that's what we look forward to, right? That's what our, our minds should be set on. You know, the devil's really good at just getting our attention and dragging us to other things of this world, right? And just distracting us with the stuff of the world. But Peter says, you set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus returns. That's where your mind ought to be, right? All these other things that we have to deal with in life, yeah, they're going to come and they're going to go. But the thing that needs to be the rock of your life is that Jesus is coming and I am setting my hope on him, and everything connected to him, because everything else will pass away. Right? He says, as obedient children, verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in what? Ignorance. I mean, that's just, that's just a word of like, like in our face almost. It's a, it's a word of rebuke to us, that, that we focus our attention on things that, that are like those who live in ignorance, who don't know the truth of Christ, uh, hold on to. They hold on to the things because they don't know God, and we go back to holding on to those things even after we know God. And he says, as obedient children, don't conform to those things again. You know, those things that you held on to that were so precious to you when you were in ignorance, don't go back there. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, you be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's God's, that's God's call for us, right? What does God expect for our lives? He expects us to be holy. He expects us to live on this earth in understanding and knowledge of who he is and what he's done for us, and we set our mind on him, and we live toward him, right? We live our lives holy like he is holy. That's our goal. That's our aim. That's where we live for. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us remain holy as we live. Look at verse 17. Peter writes, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as what? Foreigners here in reverent fear. Hey, foreigners, that's how we are on this earth, right? We're, we're to live as aliens and strangers. This planet is not our home, right? At home, at work, in the church, this stuff is not our home. This is all tools to be used for the glory of God. That's all it is. They're just tools. Everything we have is a tool to help other people come to know Christ, and for us to grow in our relationship with Christ, right? Uh, he judges each man's work and partially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know, and here he goes, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from what? What did he redeem you from? Look at the words. The empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. I mean, just think about this. Think about this. Anything not focused and connected to Christ is an empty way of life. Everything. That includes a lot of ways of living. There's only one life that rises above an empty way of life, and that's a life fully committed to Christ and Christ alone. Everything else, 
Peter says, is an empty way of life. Boy, that, that just shocks you, right? That just kind of slap in the face, right? This empty way of life handed down to us by our ancestors. How insane is that? He says he redeemed us. He redeemed us from that to live a new way. But here's how he redeemed us, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's how you have been bought, right? You have been paid for, bought back by God from that empty way of life, the here and now, everything that we know now and everything that we live here now that we attach ourselves to and that we buy, all this stuff, this way of life of ours, this empty way of life compared to the surpassing knowledge of Christ and what he has for us and where we're headed, the rest is empty. But with the precious blood of Christ, that's the payment. Not in Bitcoin, not in denaries, not in francs or any other currency. The currency that bought you back, that redeemed me back to God from the empty way of life was one and only one thing, the precious blood of Jesus. That's what redeems you. That's what forgives us. That's what cleanses us. That's what allows us to pass from an empty way of life to a life with purpose in eternity. It's the blood of Christ. He redeems us. Verse 20, he says, he, he was chosen. Jesus was chosen before the creation of this world, but was revealed in these last times. For who? For your sake. Verse 21, though through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. See, redemption was always God's plan. From the, from the moment of the fall, redemption was always God's plan to buy us back. And don't miss verse 22. If you look at verse 22 at the end, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. I mean, how important it is for us as believers to walk in Christ, to obey the truth of God's word. See, you meet Christ, you and I, we meet Christ in redemption as we obey the truth in our obedience to Christ. That's where we meet him, right? His redemption is free for anyone. His grace is free for anyone. You can't do anything to earn God coming, but you have to obey the truth. You have to come into him by obeying the truth, redemption. In the blood of Jesus. How awesome is that? I mean, that alone sets us, our hearts and our minds, in a whole other place. I mean, the understanding of what God has done for us and what He has freed us from and what we have moved away from and what we've moved to changes everything, right? It ought to change everything about the way you live, everything about the way you think, everything about the way we approach everything church life, home life, school life work life, no matter what it is, it changes everything when we understand what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to. All the promises of God. The last passage is in Revelations. Revelations chapter 5. Right, John sets up chapter 1 with an introduction. Verse chapters 2 and 3, he's talking to the seven churches. In chapter 4 of Revelations, John is talking about the throne of heaven. 
This, this throne of God, this future throne of God and what's going on there. He, he moves from the worldly churches in chapter 2 and 3 and what's happening among the churches on the earth. And then he is like transported to this vision of what's going on at the throne of God during the same time. And in chapter 5, this is unbelievable, unimaginable scene at the throne of God going on. It's a picture of future event. The one who sat on the throne had this scroll in his right hand and it was sealed, right? And gathered there at the throne were the angels, were 24 elders, were these four living creatures, and the lion, the tribe of Judah, and the lamb. Look at verses 1 to 8 in, in Revelations 5. John writes, he said, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Good question. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Verse 4, I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the line of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if he had, it had been slain standing in the center before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, get this, you, the Lamb, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Only the lamb, the blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb who was slain, did he purchase back for God? Did he redeem back for God, right? Those who had wandered away, those who were lost in their sin. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, right? And Jesus, we sing about it, Jesus paid it all. Right? He paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? It's his blood. It's his death. It's his willingness to come to this earth that has redeemed us from the empty way of life handed down to us. His death are the wages for my sin. Right? And his resurrection is our eternal, our eternal hope. Right? Forever. That in him and by his blood we are washed clean again. In the blood there is life. And in the blood, there is redemption. He bought you. He bought you back. There's an old-time preacher. There's an old-time preacher who was walking down the street one day in an old town and back where he lived, and he, found, he came across this boy, this little boy, and this little boy had a cage in his hands. 
And in the cage were these two old wild birds. And the preacher stopped him. He's wondering, what is going on with this? And he stopped the little boy and he said, what, what, what do you do? What do you got there, little man? And the little guy said, oh, they're just a couple wild birds that can't sing very well. And they're just old and probably going to die one day. And the, the preacher says, what are you going to do with those birds? He said, oh, I'll take them home, probably play with them for a while, and then give them to my cat. Let my cat play with them for a while. And the preacher thought, no, we can't do that. And so he says, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the birds from you. I'll give you, I'll give you five coins you give me the birds. So the little boy thought, hey, well, it's payday. So he says, sure, you can have them, sir. They're not very homely, but you're, you're welcome to them. And he takes his five coins, and the kid goes away, whistling away. The pastor, the preacher, old pre-time preacher, he takes the birds in the cage, and he goes around the corner of the building, and he lets those birds go. And, and as they were flying up toward heaven, they're just singing away. And he said, he said, he swore he thought him, he heard them singing, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus has done for you. Right? We, we, old and useless and sinful, on our way to destruction. And Jesus came and he paid the debt to buy you back and to set you free. That's redemption. Only by his blood are you free. Only by his blood. Your sins are washed away, right? He purchased you. He set you free. And how, how, do, how do we come into this? How does this happen for us? The answer is pretty simple. How do you get free in Jesus? It's really simple. You purify yourself by obeying the truth. That's what Peter said. You simply obey the truth, right? Grace is free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Nothing you can do for God to send His Son. He already did that for you. But entering in is an act of your will. You have to decide. I want that. I want Jesus. I need His blood in my life. How does this happen? You turn to Jesus and you cry out for mercy. That's how. You cry out to Him and you admit that you're a sinner and that you need Him. See, Jesus must come first. It's got to be about Jesus first. His grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness, right? And His redeeming blood. I need that. And then you just simply do what Peter said when the church began. When God instituted the church and He unleashed the church on the earth and the Holy Spirit, when the redemption story hit the planet, the word was this, repent and be baptized into Christ. Let his blood wash away your sins, the forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just do what the word says. Purify yourself by obeying the truth. Do that, and you'll live forever. Simple.